1: Perception can really mess with us as hunters, especially when it comes to understanding something that you can only relate to your current experiences. That's why as coaches, we can tell by our viewers' questions that we need to take a step back and not assume that we all see things the same way, because y'all, we just don't. Tonight's first topic is a perfect example, using your senses, your eyes, ears, and nose to elk hunt. Just what does that mean? Well, y'all, we're going to talk about just that. Also tonight, time for some advanced elk hunting setup scenarios. Yeah, buddy. Those topics along with our elk bro shout outs and questions from our live viewers and letters from our elk bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting.
2: Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkgrows.com, with your host Gilbert Arnellis and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
1: Believe We are live Joe. Hello there everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week. Welcome back to elk camp. I'm Gilbert Hernandez, the host of the show coming to you from live from Dallas, Texas, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coaches, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chavez. And yes, we do have one of the members of the Venezuelan Mafia with us tonight, the infamous Luis Gonzalez. What's up, fellas? Hey
2: Gilbert,
3: hey, how are you? Live Good boys, guy. live
1: again. Live on see Utah, who... live
3: on YouTube. Hello, everybody. Hey, so well, first thing we're gonna do is we as we have people coming on live, um, we got Derek Bakers in, Jeffrey Stevenson in. Dean's head in the house. Matthew Flowers is in the house. Hello, guys. Um, Remember, we usually get about about a 20-second to 30-second delay. So what we want to do, um, we're we're excited because tonight is about really letting these guys get questions. And we're going to try to get more and more people. We're going to watch them as they come in, hopefully as, as people get inside. We will get into our topic We will remind people once we see them coming in, if you have any questions at all, uh, you guys that are live that are following us, if you have any questions during the show, just post them. Uh, Luis and Chav here are going to be looking for those. Gilbert's going to be looking for them, and we'll try to answer those. And we're going to hit into our regular topics as we go. And we're going to try to cover both questions from those people and our own questions. go through our own questions that we have in our mailbox as well. So looking excited about all of this. they popping up as we speak, Joe. Yep.
1: Absolutely. So got some cool so, things to talk about. Definitely our camo that's hitting the streets. Uh, Joe, you've got anything that you want to say about that. Uh, we put it on display for us uh, this, first part of this last week here in, uh, fantastic it's turned out fantastic
3: no we're i'm real excited about it you know probably the toughest thing that we had to go through with our camo was choosing because we actually have two color (laughs) patterns man (laughs) and it was like you know we have one that it has the green a little bit more brown in it and we have one that's more of the green um the 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 first The first pattern is really one that we stuck with coming out here. But what's cool about this is we're going to have our grinders out there. They're going to be in this, and we're going to get to know what they think about the camo and the camo pattern. And then as soon as uh, we're ready and we're getting some word back from people, man, then we're going to go ahead and put up so that they can choose from, you know, if they want that, Really green pattern out there for that, you know, either spring or something like that. But what we found was when we went out and we did our tests on it, the green with more of the brown in it really worked well with the piney woods and what's happening this time of year. So, uh, yeah, uh, and... We will hit all these questions when we get down. We're going to get started with the rest part of our show as people come on. Remember, I was going to say the questions
4: are flying in. They're already they, I'm <laughs> yeah, loving that.
3: More. But, gentlemen, remember what we're going to do is um, you keep putting your questions. When we get to where we um, are in that part of the show, we'll start hitting those questions. We're going to talk about our main topic. If you have any questions on that or you have just your own questions, you just load them up, load them up, and we'll keep scrolling through and trying to hit them. All right? So that's where we're going to go. All right, Gilbert. Well, guys, first of all, y'all
1: know what time it is. These are just a few shout-outs to cities with our listeners, most listeners, topping our charts this week.
3: First up, Elkbro shout-outs to those grinders giving us such great reviews on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. John Child out of Utah. Paul Perky, our, our buddy Paul's uh, been giving us a, re- a review. And Trevin Butler, want to thank you guys. And now for our top listening cities, <laughs> yeah, I, and I want – The guys in the audience, I'm looking for, this is kind of rating like when people are diving and swimming, right? You know, you get the 10, you get the nine, all right? I want to see how well I do this. Do you think I could do this professionally or not? (laughs) 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 10 being the highest, one being you suck, Joe, so (laughs) (laughs) here we go. And if you have any trouble finding any of the cities we're about to talk to or finding your way in the Elkwoods. Basemap Pro is the GPS app of choice of the Elk Bros crew. And for all you grinders that are following us tonight, that are listening next week, if you are looking for an incredible deal, you can get 20% off a Basemap Pro subscription with the promo code Bros 20 That's elkbros R O S two zero. And here's the thing, y'all. That's going to cost you $24, and it's going to cover all 50 states available to you with that promo code. That, my friends, is a grinder's deal right there. How'd I do? <laughs> you
1: know, I, can, I can see video, uh, video advertising in your future, brother.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Chav, you're up Jeff, first. You're up, brother.
2: Okay, our top listening city this week a census-designated place in Jefferson County, Colorado. It's actually a suburb of Denver. Uh, John Schaefer, a successful entrepreneur, purchased the land, and that was originally his ranch, then a settlement in 1914. He later owned the Rocky Mountain News, the Denver Times, and the Denver Republican newspaper. Newspapers. Schaefer was so close to President Theodore Roosevelt and carried a letter granting him immediate access to the president. John named our top city after his sons, Ken and Carol. Now, uh, Carol is spelled C-A-R-R-O-L-L, but the uh, folks in uh, this city pronounce the uh, area Kent, Carl, Colorado.
3: Kent, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) In the house. I have never heard of Kent Carl. Yeah, it's, Me? Not, it's not really
2: a well, it's like a place, not really a city. Oh really? Huh? Yeah, it's it's not incorporated or unincorporated. But it's supposed to be a really nice nice area.
4: Oh that's that's awesome, man. Luis. So yeah, the next stop listening city is also not a city, but an incorporated community in Virginia. Popular places to visit include Tues Fall Falls, Diamond Farm and the Rock Chapel Golf Center. Uh, did you love some sheep stew? If so, the Ruritan Club here claims to make the best sheep stew in the world, cooking it twice a year in large batches to raise money for community services and projects. Dundas, Virginia. Dundas,
3: Virginia.
1: Dundas, Virginia in the house. Uh, the, the boys from the East Coast.
3: Yeah, man. I, and all over the United States. And again, you know, I, I keep learning about different places here, but let me tell you what, the best sheep stew in the world, you know, <laughs> I, we, we, leave it to the Commonwealth, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm I'm up, man. I'm up for anything, man. Absolutely.
1: Located in the neck in the County seat of Calakamas on the, uh, williamette river this top listening city near the southern limits of portland metropolitan area was established in 1829 by the hudson bay company in 1844 it became the first u.s city west of the rocky mountains to be incorporated believe it or not this city has a 130 foot outdoor elevator that connects two neighborhoods and is officially called Elevator Street, the only vertical street in North America, and it connects the lower city to the upper city. It's the only outdoor elevator in the US and the and only one of four in the world. It takes only 15 seconds to take passengers to the top in none other than
3: Oregon City, Oregon. So does anybody grasp this, man? They have a vertical street, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It's- you know,
4: I, it, I was excited when I saw the city pop up in the charts. Joe, um, I have beautiful memories of this place. Uh, when I first came to the U.S. in 1997, uh, actually 1996, um, I came as an exchange student to this city, and I stayed with an incredible family, the Foxes. Um, I still keep in touch with them, Jack and Kathy, and all their kids. Uh, this is where I learned English, and uh, you know, basically, what you know opened up my eyes to eventually want to become a, a U.S. citizen. So, I uh, love this city, beautiful city. Uh, they had an incredible house with a view to uh, Mount Hood from their backyard. Well, wait, um, forget
3: Mount Hood, man. Did you ride the elevator?
4: <laughs> I did not, man. So I'm reading this. I was it's like, man, I didn't funny. see this elevator. They took me everywhere, right? They even took me to, um, uh, gosh, Yellowstone National Park on snowmobiling. My very first elk hunt that I ever went on on with a rifle hunt, I did it with Jack. Jack took me to that elk hunt. Uh, so it's uh, incredible memories. Ten months that I spent there changed my life forever in, a, in the most positive way. So love that city. Kudos I, to them. I, I am
3: extremely happy for you, man. And, and and I don't want it to sound like I'm not. But you did not ride the Elu. I
4: did not. I didn't even know that existed. And if I did, I can't remember. Shoot,
3: <laughs> man. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Located in the Magic Valley region, this city is located on ancient Native American grounds frequented by the Shoshone and Bannock Indians. An area attractions include the Shoshone Falls, Perrin Bridge, and Sawtooth National Forest. But for me, y'all, listen, this is what's big to me. I'm not sure if you remember it, but in 1974, me and my family were glued to the TV when evil... None other than himself, Knievel, tried to jump the Snake River Canyon on a steam-powered rocket. And <laughs> I and I want you guys to know, Evil survived that. It it did make it to the other side. Never landed on the other side. The parachute came out and carried him back down into the canyon and almost yeah. drowned his butt. I mean, he's probably twenty yards from drowning uh Can yeah. Evil, man I I can remember watching him so many times on TV. Oh, we're going to go back Scott, thank you. So he says it's actually Ken Carroll back there. And uh oh, we're getting some great comments here, man. I mean, is sheep stew better than elk tag soup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe, I think it is, man. That's, that's pretty I cool. know it is.
1: I'll take me a big bite of sheep stew before I eat
3: the elk tag. <laughs> oh man, that's way cool. All right, so, uh, and a really, that... a really good a really
1: good question here was, you know, from Scott Baker. He says, hey guys, is Chav going to be out in the woods this year? My answer to him was, is a pig's ass pork? <laughs> <laughs> if, it hair, if it hair lips, the new Mexican governor, we're putting Chav in the woods with us.
3: So I've got to finish my shout out because man, that is a big elk bro shout out to our listener Tracy Henry and Twin Falls Idaho because he sent that in and uh and we wanted to make sure that he got on there, man awesome. <laughs> if it hair, you know, tell me what it means to hair lip the governor
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's just an old saying that my grandpa used to say
3: yeah oh that's 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 hilarious, man, I love that. He said, we're going to do it if it hair-lips the governor. <laughs>
2: uh, the final city, this is a suburb of St. Paul and is on the eastern side of the Twin Cities metropolitan area. The city was named for a grove of trees near the original town site. If, you've ever, if you're ever here, you've got to stop and eat at Sherelle's Cafe, a local hangout with delicious breakfast and brunch delights. In a D Spot chicken joint, D Spot for some incredible chicken. Uh, big shout out to Oakdale, Minnesota.
3: D Spot, Minnesota. D Spot I, I, chicken. I, I told I told you last <laughs> week, man. I had I had the Colonel's secret. I met the Colonel, so I don't know about D Spot, right? But <laughs> guys, everybody that's there, welcome, man. Scott Baker, uh, Richard. Joe, I just love having you here. Dean, man, we love having our li- live audience here. We're seeing all of the comments coming on. Shane, right? yeah, you made it, Shane. That is way cool. <laughs> Jeffrey Stevenson. And we're going we're gonna to go Ray through C. those Henry. questions as we get through there. And if any of them pertain to what we're talking about as we come out, we're going to hit some of those, and then we're going to throw these other ones in there. Joe said an evil Knievel stunt bike, man. I hope you had the bones that didn't get broken with it because that fellow was always busted
4: up. So, hey Joe, and I've been uh, writing down some of the questions just so we don't forget uh, to touch on them. Awesome. I, knew my, I knew my Venezuelan brother couldn't help himself. Yep.
1: Had to. He's on, Somebody it, like had a had to. He's on it like a rat on a Cheeto.
3: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So the first topic tonight was inspired by a question from Jonathan Bruce out of Eugene, Oregon. And I had the pleasure of giving John a phone call. And, and, uh, and it was so cool to talk with him because he was talking about an area and we were talking about different aspects. And he told me uh, some of his concerns and he sent him in a question. He says, I had a question about what you meant by hunt with your eyes and your ears and not your feet. You said that just walking around is a bad idea. The area I hunt has only a couple peaks. Now, I don't know if I've ever said walking around is a bad idea because otherwise I do a lot of bad. um <clears throat> The area I hunt has only a couple peaks with a lot of canopy, and I checked this out, and he's exactly right. There is no way to see a herd. It could be that I don't call appropriately or that the trees kill the sound, but I don't hear any answers coming back. Haven't smelled them either. The trees are probably a good windbreak. I know they're in the area, though, so my last option is to go park looking for them and putting on a lot of miles. Should I not be doing that? Is there another option? And And one thing that I wanted to talk about was his perception of what I was talking about as far as hunting with your eyes, your ears and your nose. And I think a lot of times y'all, again, perceptions are we take those from our own examples and from our own background and stuff. And when I said, to hunt with your eyes, he understood that as using optics, being up on a hill, and being able to find and see elk. Well, if y'all see this country he's in, and if you hunt in the type of country that we like to hunt in, then you're going to have a lot of trouble seeing elk with binos. In fact, we don't take binos with us. The thicker, the better, because now you have the opportunity to get the animals close up when you're bow hunting, right? Right. So when when i talk about hunting with your senses gilbert how do you take that from your standpoint over there
1: when you talk about hunting with my senses it's about every sense i have not just my sight my hearing but definitely with my nose i i, I do a lot of hunting just with my nose i can smell game you know what you've done it so much you know what they smell like so you can't forget that that sense of your smell that sense of hearing that sense of sight but again I mean you got to put the miles in to get to where they are and we've said a thousand times on huh, Joe elk are where they are right they just that's where they are so a lot of times you got to put your head down nose into the wind uh and and go do what you got to do to hunt them up, right? Uh, but you can't ever. I think a lot of us get can get get uh, ahead of ourselves, and we outwalk our eyes, we outwalk our ears, we outwalk our nose. We get in a hurry instead of just, you know, I've said this before and had to, had to explain it, boodling along in the woods. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what we kind of want to do, is just meander, listen, smell, take it all in. Uh, I think for me when you say use our senses, that's what it's all about, Joe. So that's that's um,
4: what Yeah, and I was just going to comment. It it doesn't hurt to take you know a, a minute out and stop and just listen, you know, and and even if you're not bugling, if you're not, you know, making cows uh cow calls It just helps to just stop for a second and just take it in and listen. Um, you, You may be making too much noise yourself that you're not listening to your surroundings and probably spooking stuff around you as well. So it doesn't hurt to do that every once in a while, especially after you throw a location bugle out there. Joe, you taught us this day one. It's like when I throw a location bugle out there, we all stop for a second everybody's super silent and we're listening for at least a minute just to see if we hear anything respond at any distance that we won't be able to hear if we're all making noise or getting you know water bottles out of our backpack and everything and making all kinds of noises
3: well one of the things though that i that here's what i want people to understand is you know yeah elk give an advantage in that they tell us a lot of times where they are because they're audible and understand they're not just audible only with a bugle they make other noises but beyond that you know like you know uh he was saying that uh jonathan was saying that you know he's not able he's not hearing any elk bugles well when i talk about hunting with my eyes it's a lot like gilbert's talking about when i'm moving through the woods i am looking for track i'm looking for sign i'm looking for i mean you can actually see if you have any kind of like a meadow with high grass and an early morning dew if you look at as you're coming there you can see the dew track a trail Yeah, yeah the trail from elk that are moving through that and if you see a dew track of three trails going through and you can tell by the size of it it's not a bear because there's three of them you know you have elk moving through that so that tells you something that those animals are in the area by paying attention to your eyes as well by looking for a part of an animal as you're moving through looking for movement going through the trees paying attention and looking for a flash or a patch so that's the types of things that i'm talking about when i'm saying use your eyes i'm not just talking about being up high and using optics i'm talking about use that hunting skill set that's the skill set that somebody that stalks muleys or stalks whitetails that you're going to have you're looking for the ear you're looking for you know a, a twitch you're looking for exactly. going through right yeah yeah. You're looking for that
1: ear flicker. For me, guys, I, I've hunted with a lot of guys, and they look over elk. They look past them. It, for me, you guys got to focus on that first three foot off the ground because you're going to see those legs move. You'll see an ear flicker. You'll see the outline of their their tail end, right there. But uh, I can't tell you how many times I've stopped and kept looking, and then all of a sudden I see an ear flicker or the glint of an antler or, or just feet walking through the brush, right? But you've got, start, you've got to start from the ground up and work that first three feet in front of you. If you're looking over the top, chances are you're going to look right over them, you know, even especially in the thick stuff, you know, you'll look right over them because they blend in so well. They're, the camouflage those dudes have beat anything we can put on, but it's, it's amazing how well they can blend in in just a few jackpines, Joe. I see them just disappear. Right. Just a few. And they're huge. I mean, they're Clydesdale horse style animals, you know, and they're huge. And just a few jack pines will, will will hide them.
2: Yeah. And some other signs you can look for is, you know, when they lay down, especially in, I would imagine uh, Oregon, is that where it's from? Yeah. Yeah, Oregon. Yeah. uh, You know, when they lay down, they're going to flatten a big area. So, you know, as, as, uh, far as, you know, seeing the, the, uh, track or the trail in, in the dew, you know, look for areas where there's large indentations where they've laid down, but going back to what, uh, Louise was saying, as far as listening, you know, stop and listen, like he said, because sometimes you'll get a, a warning from the chipmunks or the squirrels that something's approaching, mm-hmm. uh, you at, the, at the same time, they'll also tell, tell the elk that you're approaching, because, you know, if, if you've been bothered by, uh, these little rodents, I guess they're rodents, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they'll they'll let them know when we're coming along too.
1: I think it was last year, you and I and Brendan, Chav, we were sitting there and we just got done with a call session and I, I looked up and I heard a chipmunk go at it. And then I heard a squirrel going at it and we looked up and the coyote was coming to us but we knew something was coming because the chipmunks went crazy and the squirrels went crazy and we had a coyote I mean headed dead dead ass you know uh so those other animals will always cue you into something moving
2: and also hear some birds flying off the tree you know that got spooked by something so you know just be aware of, of the sounds around you
3: and and that's what I'm talking about using your senses and and Uh, Tracy Henry asked a good question that kind of ties in this because in in some of these guys, they're not hearing something maybe because there's wolves in the area. We don't deal with something like that. Uh, But you know, Tracy, what I understand is that, and I've never I've never hunted where wolves are, so I'm speaking a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I have done a lot of study on it, and from what I understand, when I talk to my buddies up in Idaho, they're saying, look, you can blame your hunting on wolves as much as you want to, or as little as you want to, that the, the problem is, is that the elk are still being audible, and some places, they're just really going off, but a lot of times they're using more low audible noises, using more chuckles, using more grunts, more groans. They're using more of the pants and stuff. So they're just, and when they're in trees, when they get in the trees, then like what uh, Jonathan was saying, those bugles don't carry as far. So that's one of the things that you got to remember. So I, I would say, you know, when you're hunting wolves, uh, if if I am, working in an area where i see wolf track and they're working that area too i've had the same thing happen with cougars once a cougar gets on my same group of elk i'm working things are getting ready to get really quiet now it'll come back up later on because they will come back into area that have feed and that have water but at that time at that moment those critters going to get out if they smell a predator in there so you're going to have to move out because you're just another predator competing. And think about this, that there's a lot of things out there that are competing to be able to eat an elk. You've got us. And if you're in those upper Montana, you've got the grizzlies that could be doing that. You Black bears are, are something else on calves. And, I mean, they just wipe them out. Uh, so there's a lot of predators out there that are hunting those animals. So I would just continue to do what I do, but understand that maybe I have to use some different low audible noises when I'm in there, and I'm going to have to use my senses more to follow them, okay? Uh, But that's kind of, when we talk about using our senses, when I talk about using my ears, I'm not talking about just bugles. I'm not just listening for bugles. And you guys that are ridge running, only looking for bugles, are going by a lot of elk okay yeah. and and it's, it's a fact yeah I mean,
1: no no doubt and what jonathan's asking is that he's not seeing or hearing or smelling or anything like that well jonathan if you're not look elk are vocal animals if you're hunting during the rut and you're not hearing any bugling and stuff like and you're not seeing any sign of elk and you're not hearing anything and you're i mean it's time to it's time to move around, you know, because, I mean, they are where they are. You are going to hear them sound off when they're in rut, if you're hunting at that time, right? I mean, the cows are going to be moving. It's really important for you to find where their feed is. We said this a thousand times that they're slaves to their bellies, and I'm sure in Oregon they get plenty of rain, so there's probably lots of grass, probably abundance of water, so it's really going to be about you moving around to find these critters. Maybe it is covering ground because if you're not seeing, hearing, smelling, finding fresh sign, then
3: I want to talk about that covering ground though, because there's another perception. So, when I'm saying you don't just want to be covering ground, I need to add some of that. You don't want to just be covering ground to cover it, you want to cover ground in areas that are most likely to hold critters. All right. So, like I showed him. Um, When I on a map on an area that he's hunting that there's a great drainage with some beautiful park after park after park that works into a bowl area that has three drainages coming into it. By working that drainage with all those parks, with the water that has the good feed in the open areas, and finding breaks in the canopy, whether it's an old fire, whether it's um, if you're in an area that gets a lot of snow and keeps some stuff down in some areas, whether it's a, a rock slide, whether it's um, in Oregon, they in Washington, they do a lot of tree farming out there. So those areas where they've done those tree cuts or they've thinned out here in New Mexico or Colorado, uh, trying to stop some of the burns. But anytime you have a change in the canopy, now you are creating areas that you want to move through. And again, when I'm talking about using my nose and my senses, then what I want to do is I want to work areas that I think that could hold animal animals at a crosswind so that I have that wind coming to me and I can smell them out. I don't want to always walk with a headwind, y'all. And the reason I want to walk with a headwind is because when I do that, all I can smell is what's in front of me. I can see what's in front of me. So if I walk at a crosswind to a bedding area or to a feed corridor or uh, any of those areas if i walk at a crosswind within a half mile i can catch the scent and smell elk definitely 400 yards man but if you do that now if you walk at a crosswind i get to smell them from the upwind side i can see in front of me and i can see to my other side before my wind gets there so i have just broadened my space of hunting when i'm moving through and and something else that we do. So here's something else I'm going to kind of tell you guys. If you want to get to an area and you want to hunt it and the wind's wrong, so you just reverse that trick that I talked about, how I didn't want to have a headwind because I'm only smelling what's in front of me. Well, you can do the same thing if you need to get to an area. You put the wind directly at your back and you walk with the wind. And when you do that – only the area in front of you, and it's going to cone out some, but the area in front of you is what they're going to be able to smell. So I can actually get there that way, and I can still have things happen on the peripheral, on the sides that aren't going to smell me. So the wind, the thermals are huge. But I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. And before I go into advanced setup scenarios, and I'll find out if someone of these guys, let's, uh, let's hit a couple of these questions that, that you've seen, Luis. <coughs> Sure.
4: Yeah. uh, So, uh, one of the first questions I got here, Joe, uh, it it was a question about winter ridge or concentrations on on the apps. And uh, I think he mentioned, say, on on Onyx, how are the winter range or concentrations there?
3: So, uh, So, I'm not sure if I understand the question, though
4: on that. Yeah, uh, and I can see if I can find it here. How accurate are the winter range and concentrations oh, on say oh, oh, on oh. X? So Yeah,
3: I yeah. uh, yeah, I I couldn't tell you. Totally wouldn't know that, man. Um w- winter range is not something so much that we deal with in New Mexico. And now you can go to Colorado and you can look on on Colorado's Division of Wildlife and you can on some of those tools find what they call migration routes so yeah and i really like the migration routes um and it will show that from winter range to summer range and you know to me it's such a broad brush that they do so they're saying yeah they're seeing the elk down in these areas and a lot of times it's down in farmland it's down in flats different places like that where they get pushed down for their winter range in certain areas and then they'll move back up in the hills and where they see them most often you know like i know right here in southern colorado um when they head from the lower part there up to the oso up there up into the wilderness you know they see those animals that kind of get up in there but i can tell you this i've guided in that country and there's group of elk there's cows there's groups of cows that never even leave that area. So you'll have some migration depending on how bad the snows. Now, if you're talking about Montana, you're talking about Wyoming, there's an incredible winter range of migration there. So that's something that those guys would have to speak to a little bit.
4: Yep. Um, and then another thing is that they were asking about uh, elk tree stand hunting. Any tips for elk? Um, um, placement and and I guess general tips for uh tree stand hunting I don't know that I have ever seen or done anything like that Joe but um
3: oh yeah we use tree stands man and and if you're going to sit over water uh I recommend a tree stand to do that um you if, if you find uh we have a certain place where we hunt that animals love to go from the bottoms up the ridge to the top and there is one place that they really, I mean, there's a major trail they like to go up. It's a perfect place for a tree stand. Get you off the ground. You can see them before they see you. It's just finding that corridor, finding whatever's going to attract them, and placing that up in there. And uh, and, and it's effective. Me, I'm not able to tree stand hunt, man, because, I mean, that's like sitting in a blind. It drives me friggin' nuts. I'm like ADD. You know, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, remember trying to hunt got to some, Yeah, got to have some patience. Yeah. Oh, man. And, got to have the patience of Job. Right. Yeah, Yeah, because you definitely ain't got the patience of Joe, man. This guy's got to go out and scream them up, man. I mean, just – and Matt Flowers had a question. That he says, I have a question about burns. I have a unit that borders another unit that's off limits with a huge 2017 burn. Should I put most effort close to the burn? Now, I read that, Matt, if I'm correct, that you have a unit with the burn on the other side right so um as far as that being if it's if that's if that burn is close to your unit right there there's animals that could be moving in and out of there um, to feed and come back we have animals that do that all the time that cross barriers on us but we're not able to go because we end up in units that are surrounded by private property all over in different places i mean or you can be in units that you're gonna go from one hunt unit that's really, really great to like, let's say the Via Vidal and which we're not able to enter into. And we'll have elk that are screaming like crazy over there. So do you just stay away from that or can you pull those critters? Me, I take great pride in pulling those critters. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have done it and watched it done. Yep, many times.
1: Yeah, Yeah, look, I I wanted to go back to the stand deal. I've got a really good friend of mine who's got an outfitter business. They kill multiple bulls every year over a wallow and a watering hole, and they kill some really good ones, especially midday. Uh, They sit up there in the morning, and then they come back, get them a little bite to eat, go right back out for the midday, and a lot of those bulls come down to get water midday and where they're at. So they put it on the downwind side. They know what prevailing wind is. He's probably got three different ladder stands so he can actually hunt the wind uh, that day. So he's got one on uh, on the prevailing sides of wherever those bulls would come from. And most of his shots are between – Twenty and thirty yards that they're that they're taking, and uh, they're slam dunks when they get them. But he takes three to four bulls a year out of that tree stand. So, you guys set up over those water holes and and those travel corridors, and y'all can make that work. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: and- absolutely one uh one other question, and I think we'll be caught up after this one. Uh, there's been a lot of questions on on broadheads and 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 uh, uh veins and all of that stuff it's uh, It's been a interesting conversation here in the background on that one. but uh one last question outside of that topic uh, was uh about uh your socks. Oh, over, they were asking, the Hey, you talk about good socks. What kind of socks do you use? And should we buy some good Marina wool or let's,
3: talk to, let's the, talk to the baby. Let's talk to the baby feet command. up there, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, you guys know one thing. I got one speed. It's slow and we <laughs> take care of these, pe- these pads right here, brother. But these feet, they get a workout when I'm in the woods with these boys. Uh, it is imperative To have a good pair of socks. I usually buy my socks at Cabela's and they're a standard pair of merino hunting uh, Socks. They feel so much better on your feet inside of a boot A lot of guys ask what boots do I wear? Well, I wear two different styles So I wear a pack a North Face pack boot uh, and then I wear a uh, Mindle boot and so those two and I wear a Merrill too. I wear a Merrill-like hiking boot as well that are Gore-Tex. Everything I wear is Gore-Tex, and my socks are expensive socks. Guys, I pay, you know, sometimes $25 a pair for a pair of socks. But I'm telling you, I've done it with just regular old tube socks, cotton tube socks. Man, my feet get, they sweat, they they stay damp, and, and it hurts my feet. So when I went to wearing better socks, that helped my feet a ton.
3: Yeah, I I wear Hanes, uh, I, I buy them in a pack, <laughs> 12, <laughs> twelve bucks for a pack. But I wear tennis shoes and uh, I, you know. Don't let
1: a lie to you. He wears a Vortex sock. I've watched him.
3: Oh yeah, if it if it's wet out, I have Good. I have biker socks.
4: So yeah, so I was gonna mention that those those became extremely helpful for me last year. Um, i got me a regular pair of socks underneath but then on top of those i use those biker uh, impermeable socks right which, uh, which are great if you ever get any water past those cortex boots boots or anything like that or even you know sweat uh, or anything like that i mean they're they're super helpful, so that was a great tip from you, Joe, last year.
3: And so, when we talk about bikers, y'all, we're, we're not we're not talking about Harley bikers. We're talking about cyclists. Um, and you can go on Amazon and you can put in cyclists waterproof socks. Those guys have to do that all the time for where they're out. They wear great. I put them over just a thin pair of cotton socks. Now, if uh, if I have a, a dry day, and back in the day, we always had wet feet.
2: Yeah, and and that's. <laughs>
4: That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially especially out there, it rains almost every day, you know, and you don't get a chance to dry your boots or dry your socks out there, and and it really sucks when you get your gear wet because it's going to be hard to get it dried up again. Yeah, the micro
2: yes. socks have been a blessing. Yeah. 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 And,
1: and they're and, not expensive. And, really. gators, right. and gators, man, that morning dew, once it gets mm-hmm. wet, your socks wick it up, go straight to your feet. Those gators are worth their money in gold, uh, especially where we hunt. And there's a lot of morning dew, or it rain. It's rained a lot, and it's real wet up there. That that uh, those gators are huge for us.
3: Hey, and Matt, Matt Flowers was saying that uh, that burn jumps into his unit a bit, but most of it's on that off-limit side. So possibly, Matt, what you want to take a look at is that burn would be a feeding area. So is there bedding area that they're coming from on your side and then moving into the feeding area? If they're doing that, you're in a really, really great situation because they're only going to be in the burn feeding For a certain amount of time. The rest of the day, they're gonna move up into the bedding area. So you're in a great situation to catch them coming out of the feed, moving to a destination, going to a bedding area where you can now have them for what seven eight hours up there and get a chance to get a midday hunt on them by putting them to bed so i wouldn't cross it out because the burns all the way on that side i mean that's just where they're going to go into feed and they're going to move out of that so really pay attention to what you have with that all right so what i'd like to do is i'd like to talk to our about our setup scenarios and that was one of the things that i've had some people talking to me about um uh Oh my God, man. Matt said that his whole side is all North face over there. So dude, I I don't know. I think you're in high cotton right there. I would, I would not put that out. I mean, I would even if I could hear animals down there bugling in a burn and you're on a North face side and you hear them screaming, man, I would pay attention to them heading my way and you got a chance really to, to work a corridor. So that's pretty cool. Now let's go to advanced setups. Here's what I mean by advanced setups. And One of the things that guys always do when they're calling elk, and and I talk about this all the time, our philosophy when we call elk is I believe that there's two things. Well, there's three. You could be passive, but really you're either being a lover or you're being a fighter when you call elk. Do you understand what I'm talking about, guys out there? Guys and gals, you you're going to be a lover or a fighter, and and our philosophy is I always tell the guys that I coach that I teach, what do we want to be? Well, lover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we can switch to be a fighter yeah. real
1: quick when we oh, need
3: yeah. to. <laughs> a- absolutely, because if those animals, like on that September, our first hunt, September second. <laughs> that bull went off screaming right away, Mm -hmm. right? Right. If a bull engages you in a fighter mode, we didn't, (laughs) we went right after it, right? Yeah.
2: Just become a fighter then.
3: Yeah, you become a fighter. Uh, So, but what most people are doing is, is they want to engage a bull directly. And a lot of our scenarios are scenarios for, uh, and Jonathan might like this, is if there's nothing going on, or let's say that, Matt Flowers, for example, let's say that Matt has a whole herd that's screaming over there inside uh, that burn area on the other side of the fence, right? Well, what we do is we utilize scenarios to be another group of elk and then pull them coming back to us. So some of the things that we do, for example, a destination bull scenario. Let's say that I'm not getting any vocal animals out there. So what I want to do is I want to be that bull, and I am going to act like a bull with cows moving up a ridge, moving to wherever I want to go, and I am going to be screaming and doing cow calls as I do it exactly the way the elk do it so that I'm going to bed. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for elk that are going to come in from the sides that might end up popping a chuckle or they're going to sneak in on me. And then once I get into my bedding area, once I get up into that coolness and that part of the day and get to an area, then I'm going to go to my advertising mode and the best way I could think about our advertising mode is that time that you and I were hunting that group in the jack pines and we got separated with that big group of elk on the side of the ridge there and I killed that one bull when when we were separate and I was screaming all the double bugles for you in do you remember that yeah one? I remember that yeah yeah and when you got to me what's the first thing I told you that <laughs> We had all those bulls that came into me when I was yeah, trying to.
2: They just kept coming in.
3: Yeah. So, because I was being obnoxious, and get this, I'm trying to get Chav to come to me because Chav needed to help me pack that booger out, right? <laughs> so, so, I'm screaming, double bugle, double bugle, going, Chav, come on in. And in the time it took for him to get to me, I had already called in four separate bulls that came into me. So,. These are scenarios when things aren't going that you can actually get things started. Right.
2: And it wasn't just the, the only time it's happened. Uh, we uh, uh, Earlier, I'm not sure what year it was. There's been so many. <laughs> you did the same thing. You were calling me in or trying to call me in. And uh, you you had about four or five bulls come in to you. But at the same time, I had uh, a herd come by me heading to you also. And we had a double kill that day. You know, little did we know that we were going to end up hiking eight miles with with uh, meat on our backs. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I've seen it Man, work. eight miles. Yeah. So I've seen it work about four or five times, that double bugle, where you're creating the uh, that scenario. that, that you know, There's a couple of bulls in the area.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the... I, I think that double scream, what it does is it actually sounds like two different bulls engaging each other. Yeah. And that's right. Yeah. And it just, man, when you just keep doing that, doing that, it's almost like you're advertising a hot cow in the area. And I, I mean, I never made any other sounds. I mean, <clears throat> no huffs, no puffs, no cow sounds. I'm just trying to get a jab to come into me. And I tell you what, like he said, yeah, Luis, you ought to try. Um, man, the the trip of two elk coming out, no pack, everything on your shoulder. We started at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And we didn't (laughs) get out till 7 o'clock that
4: night, you know, hauling meat on our back. That was a half mile one way. I was was (laughs) going to say also, guys, if if anybody's curious as to what that double bugle sounds like, um, you know, the Academy has – a uh, great spot where Joe has broken down all the different bugles and you yep. can click play and listen to every single one of the bugles with a des- <laughs> uh, and any ca- any cow sound as well with a description of what they are and what they mean pretty freaking awesome
1: the content is fantastic Joe I've been going through it little by little on some of my traveling trips and I'm telling you it's it's fantastic interactive as it can be you do a great job talking and teaching uh, it's fantastic stuff
3: you know the cool thing that I'm having fun with right now that uh got to you know, got Luis into it today and Luis was just going oh, berserk. Well yeah our, oh, uh, our our decision tree. You know. <laughs> yeah,
4: right. Beto you've got to check this if you haven't already, brother. It's just off the root I mean, it's just yeah, I'm 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 gonna have dreams tonight. <laughs> so, and, and look, man, I'm telling you, you're reading this decision trees. And I start reading the decision trees, and it's basically Joe painting a scenario, okay? So you're out there, and he starts painting a scenario, and and then he's got a question. Okay, what do you do next? And then he gives you the options. I'm reading the scenario, man. I'm getting pumped up. I'm getting the veto I'm getting excited just reading the scenarios. Like, okay, great job. Now, okay, so this is what's happening now, and this is how it's developing. Man, super freaking cool. And then if it wasn't enough at the end, he throws in a huge nugget with awesome footage and great videos, just wrapping up the whole scenario that he described. Incredible. I was just like livid. It was uh, –
1: No doubt, plug in the middle of this for the Elk Academy. It is fantastic. You guys check it out on our webpage at elkbros.com. Set yourself up an account. Joe is a masterful teacher, him and Chav. They've broken this stuff down to really layman's terms of how things can – and he teaches the inverted pyramid method. Uh, it's the coolest thing I've seen since sliced bread, bro.
3: You know what was so – so the people understand what um, <clears throat> what the decision tree is. it It's basically – it comes up and – It'll come at it like a card almost, almost like a, like a slide, and it'll give you a scenario, and then it'll give you choices. If you make one choice that we feel is not a decision or something that you ought to think about, it tells you and gives you information on what you should think about. If you make the choice that what we would make if you were riding on our shoulder, it goes to the next step, and each part of that scenario takes you almost through a hunt that has happened with us in fact a couple of them were uh there's one with Luis that that we did that uh, you actually get to see the kill video at the end of it. That but you see it's not like a a, a whack 'em and stack 'em video. It you know you've just seen the scenario, you know what's going on, and then you get to see the actual thing happening with the bull coming in and what Luis had to do and what we were doing with our calls, all of the stuff that we're talking about. So now instead of you having to imagine this in your head, you're you're getting an idea you're getting a visual and and we actually put some sounds in and stuff like that right. too yeah so, man
4: it was just incredible yeah incredible lot chav what do you think when you first saw
3: it man
2: oh that yeah it brought, brought back some good memories <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh yeah it tells you step by step uh that whole scenario you know and i think he does it like two or three times where uh he tells you exactly what led up to the kill what decisions were made, you know, one step at a time, and what decisions somebody else could have made to make it different, make the outcome different. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, real interactive. I think people will really enjoy it.
3: Yeah, I don't know that it's choose-your-own-adventure book, Joe, Um, uh, but uh, there there are decisions in the tree. Like, for example, there's one place where um, Luis was actually in his scenario. He had a cow elk come up to him. 18 yards and he could have smoked that cow and in the scenario I'm saying well that cow's at 18 yards but you look back and the bull is following that cow the the bull is still back a ways 100-120 yards but what do you do? Do you take the cow or do you wait on the bull? There is no right or wrong answer to that. If you decide to take oh, that cow
1: Only if Big O's hunting because the cow dies
3: <laughs> <laughs> But if you decide to to take that cow, man, that's what I'm saying, that, no doubt. you know, no that's doubt. your choice, and that's a trophy, you know, so exactly. there is no wrong decision in that, that's right? right? yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's something that we do with that, Dean um, asked a question about, about diaphragm calls, and about them tickling his mouth inside there, you had, used to have the problem, yeah, with
2: that. Uh, when, uh, you know, I, I just recently started really working on, on the uh, diaphragm calls, but prior to that, uh, that was my problem, it tickled my mouth, so I, I just didn't like it. Uh, but I found that if you if you trim that uh, the diaphragm call just right, yeah, uh, the skirting the tape and skirting it, around if, it right? when it fits uh, a lot tighter on your palate, you uh, you don't get that. So uh, yeah, and it buttery. seems like he
4: tried he tried trimming it as well and didn't work. So it mm-hmm. might be a matter of just trying different. The you know trimming it again different way and see if that works better for maybe
2: even the placement you know
3: that's what i was going to say is a lot of times when guys are tickling their palate they have that diaphragm too far forward okay um guys when i say eyes teeth when i say eye teeth i'm talking about the the fangs that you have right there that that diaphragm that latex should be back behind those eye teeth, man. Um, you don't want them that far up front. And if it is up front, you want the back up Well, forget about that right now. You know, I mean, that's kind of advanced. I mean, I went for years really never shifting uh, a diaphragm call in my mouth. Uh, you just need that so that it's placed up there behind the eye teeth. You can move the tongue back and forth to be able to get different pitches if, if you're that advanced, okay?
4: Joe, and again, I'm, I, you know, I hate to bring it back up, but you've got excellent videos and explain graphics sure. in yeah. the academy explaining sure. all that, and you, you're yeah. even showing uh, a drawing with the teeth and where it should go, and you even open your ugly mouth and your ugly teeth <laughs> uh, for all of us to see them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> that, that part's kind of disgusting, man. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. no, it's uh, it's great. I think it, uh, you know, all all that is. <laughs> (laughs) perfectly explained in there i was like i wish i had seen that the very first time as opposed to trying to go through that steep learning curve initially so So, um there's a question joe i was gonna if you don't mind me uh unless you have something else to say about that i got there's another question here that i figured you may uh tackle
3: so if I don't get any more on the scenario, um, I'm, I'm going to save some of those scenarios. I talked about the destination scenario and the advertising bull scenario. There's a couple – there's a few more that we use that the Elk Bros group uses that we will do just uh, again in a podcast. But I want to also bring in some of our Elk Bros mailbox questions that we have down here uh, because we got some really, really good questions there as well. Um, you know, for example – uh, I have Kendall Coppersmith out of Washington and Kendall letter. He says, I appreciate everything you're putting out on the podcast. I listen every week and I've learned so much. Now this year I'm focusing on trying to get the herd bull. The boy has set up a challenge, man. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. Dean's yeah, like, quit plugging the daggum thing, Luis, man. I'll yeah, buy it uh, already. Uh, so uh, <laughs> in his question, He says, my situation is a little different. I'm hunting eastern Washington, and there's only one herd in the whole area. It's an area that is all wheat country with timber draws and canyons that the elk live in. Last year, one big bull showed up and had all 42 cows with him with seven other satellites surrounding him. I could not break that herd bull away from his cows. I had news for you, man. With that many satellites around him, you're not going to pull the bull. Um, so the question the question says, he started to one time, but the satellite started to move in and he went back to the cows. Do you have any tips or anything that I could try to get close to that bull? It's pretty open area. So sometimes stalking can be practically impossible. So guys, he has a a few issues going on here number one he has open country right um if i'm i'm hoping that there's some place that these guys go to get into timber if that's the case i'm waiting till they get in timber before i'm working them the other thing he talks about is and is that he's got all these cows with him Mm -hmm. and if he has all these cows with him and he has the satellite bulls that bull is not going to leave those cows to go off and chase a bull. That's right. That's not going to happen.
1: You got to pull his cows. You can get between him and the cows. Yeah.
3: And Gilbert hit the nail on the head. You know, it's kind of like if you're hunting turkeys and you can't pull a gobbler, you pull his hands, right? Yeah. Or you mm-hmm. get between the hens and the gobbler, right? Yes, sir. So. That's your best strategy. You're in an open area where it's difficult to get on them, especially if they stay out in that open. But you're just going to have to try using the terrain. You're going to have to be really, really patient. And there's some guys in Arizona that I listen to that do a lot of coos hunting. And the other thing that they do is they will stalk animals, and they will do it where they actually – it'll take them – six hours to move in they move that slow so even if the country's open if you move like the hand on the hour and not on the minute you can go ahead and get in on those animals or at least trying to get to some place where you see that they're going to move from one air to the other i mean you our best advice to you kendall is either you're going to pull the cows or you're going to have to find a way to move in or you're going to try to get them in the timber that's your best bet with all of that, okay?
1: Yeah, I think i do a, a day or two of glassing and see where they're using the corridors and then go set up there um, and try to get – when the cows come in the timber, try to get between him and the cows, and then you'll put on exactly what you're talking about. Uh, you'll put on a, an advanced little scenario where we're calling his cows. You know, uh, we're another bull, and we're sounding bigger and badder than him, and we pull the cows towards us. And when that happens, you're going to kill that bull.
3: You know, Chab, when Chab and I used to hunt and we used to separate out, Chab, the only, I I don't know, you really only carried, like, a hoochie or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Most of your hunting was done by sight, smell, and stalk, wasn't it? Right, Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, what was the technique that you used? And this is going to help somebody like Jonathan because you weren't a big caller. You weren't depending on them sounding off. What were you depending on?
2: Well, you know, again, the wind and uh, having an idea where they were heading and then trying to cut them off at the pass, so to speak, but, you know, not being, not getting directly in front of them, but kind of shadowing them on the side. And then when they did get into some cover, I was able to go from tree to tree or shadow to shadow. Uh, to get close enough, and uh, there is a an opp- I got several opportunities that way, you know. But if it was being patient. Uh, I really identify the lead cow, because that's the that's the one that's, that's going to bust you. There's always one cow that's looking around. Uh, the rest just follow, and the bull just follows.
1: Yeah, you know the year I, the year I killed my big bull, we had probably. I want to say 15 to 17 cows that actually passed in front of me. Um, and if I wouldn't have saw him off in the distance, I would have killed one of those cows. No problem. But when I saw how big he was, I knew if I could get between him and the cows, I had a really good shot at killing him. And the cows were just right there. I mean, I could have turned shot one of those cows anytime I wanted to at 22 yards. As it was, the bull was going to walk in if he walked in right where I needed him to as he was, sauntering through bugling Uh, he was going to walk in at 70 yards and I was going to have a window to shoot him and it I'm telling you it was a perfect scenario for me cows there me in between you know I didn't do anything I didn't have to say a word I didn't have to I didn't have to bugle I didn't have to cow call they were doing all the cow calling for me what I had done was call those cows to me uh, by bugling several times before that. And and I really didn't know what I was doing because I couldn't see the cows until they were on me. And so they were coming to me the whole time. Well, that really aggravated him. So when I'm playing this scenario back in my mind, now I'm understanding how it actually all unfolded. But what we really didn't know was Joe was pushing them from the bottom, right? Joe sounded like another bull it was coming up from the bottom. So it had the whole herd in a tizzy. And I got between the big herd bull and his cows, and there must have been, what, seven to nine satellite bulls in there? Uh, yeah. I mean, at the same time, we knocked the big bull down, and it was like big bull rut fest going on in front of us. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many bulls we saw uh, that morning, but it was it was crazy. But had I not got between that bull and his cows, I'd have never killed that big bull. And,
3: and what, one really thing I want to tell One thing I wanted to tell Kendall is, you know, I told you to pull the cows, but I didn't tell you how to pull the cows. And the way you pull the cows is, remember, the bulls don't choose which cows to breed. The cows choose the bulls. And the cows want the biggest, baddest, strongest bull out there um, to ensure that they have a healthy calf. So. If you are out there and you are displaying uh display bugling, if you're lip balling if you're sounding like a big nasty bull that even has his own cows with him by you sounding more dominant and going over top of a bull that 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 talks to you, you want to talk to his cows, man, you want to go ahead and uh give those display bugles to to those cows to let them know and sound like other big bulls in the area too cows will are herd animals and when they hear that there's dominant bulls that are fighting for a hot cow and they sound aggressive they sound big that lead cow will start coming that direction over there
1: yes yes and when they do when you see that lead cow leading the other ones to you as that other herd bull is sounding off because now he's mad. He's mad that those cows are leaving him. You step on him. As soon as he does something, you step on him and you will incense him. He he just can't handle that, right? So he's going to come now. Now he knows the bull is fixing to take his cows and it's on you better be ready and have your stuff together. Find your you know, it's about closing the deal then because when the cows come, he's coming, regardless. And every time he sounds off, you just cut him off and mimic him or something. You will get him so fired up. He'll he'll walk in there, his eyes will be big and white and red, and he'll be peeking all over himself. I mean, it's it's
3: the coolest thing in the world if you guys <laughs> ain't ever done it. I'm
1: getting excited talking about it, Joe.
3: God almighty. <laughs> and you know something that I have not mentioned to Kendall that if I was in your situation dude I have a ultimate predator decoy on the front of my bow <laughs> and I am moving in on them boogers, man. I tell you what, the, I am an aggressive son of a gun, and if I've got some no, bulls no. out there in the open it's got cows out there, I am going to be cow calling. I'm going to have that predator decoy on the front of my bow, and I'm going to be moving at them boogers and trying to get up. I am going to try it, man. I mean, we even have guys out here, if you're in cattle country, they will use big uh, silhouette um cow silhouettes that has a shoot through on it that they will actually go and move slowly towards the elk with a cow silhouette so uh and i'm talking moo cow i'm not talking about elk cow there Uh, the (laughs) the ultimate predator decoy actually makes a moo cow as well that's a little bit bigger there and but i've seen people that have just used uh I, i know there's another company that produces a very big um, moo cow that and they use it for antelope and different things, so you know if I'm in that situation, this boy's going to figure them animals out, and we're going to find a way to be able to get in there man mm-hmm. um, I had a question it's, from George it's not Smith simple. says our bulls it's still- not
1: simple man, that's for sure go ahead, Joe, I'm sorry
3: um are bulls still sounding off at the end of October beginning of November? Yes, you
0: yes bet they you. are,
3: and um. Uh, you Uh, You guys got to remember, too, is that, and there's a question coming up about this, is that cows go in estrus, um, and they all don't go in at the same time. And for some reason, if they they can tell if there's going to be a really bad winter, and some of them cows will hold off on their estrus a little later. And I don't know that they hold off on it so much as the stress. It's kind of like... It's like humans. The stress can interrupt that estrus, and I don't know if they feel that or what. Um, And so they can end up having that a little later. If they get missed in the breeding the first time, well, they're going to come in 20-some days later on that. And they can come in, if they don't get bred the second time, they'll come in 20-second days again, man. So you can end up with bulls bugling and rutting uh, all the way at the end of October beginning of november now most of those big bulls have dropped off but we killed the largest bull on october 27th on our ranch two years ago over 400 and it happened late in october and they were rutting like crazy man because one cow came in heat you know one of the good ways
1: if you guys are doing a bunch of scouting and stuff putting boots on the ground you guys that live in the elk states y'all see when those cows or those cats hit the ground, you'll know exactly when the majority of your breeding is being done, right?
3: Yeah, I want y'all to look at this comment on here from Richard yep, Potter, man. Yeah, huh? He's, yeah, I see that one. Yeah, he's got you pegged. Yeah, he's he's over here. Make sure you can't see your he shadow through the me. decoy. See you guys. You guys have been. Uh, uh, you guys have been talking crap all this time. They're starting to believe it, man. Hey, dude,
1: that was a. Hey, listen, Joe and I put on a put on a show that morning that would have rivaled the best elk. Video you'd ever seen in your life. I'm talking if there were 400 inch bulls around us, they were coming to us and trying to jump in our lap, brother. Uh, we had actually called some bulls past a barrier and uh, had it coming. I mean, this bull, we're calling for Chad. We got it for Chav. I mean, Chav's going to get him within 40 yards. It's a done deal. You know, what I'm telling you, that locked up like an English pointer. So he's like, on it boy and we're like what in the world is going on man and uh yeah it was the definitely the sunlight in joe's beautiful silhouette behind old dollar and uh for sure man that bull was like ah, ah, ah. not this old bull <laughs> but we had to get it we had to get it going just to tell to-
4: you
3: you're you're muted Oh, Joe, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That friggin' bull, uh, he just kept looking, man. He kept doing his, his head side to side like that. And I was and like, I'm what?
2: wondering,
3: what's that yeah, bull's I'm problem? A, <laughs> I'm wondering why I, ain't
1: heard I I'm look, you know, I'm down below Chab. I'm wondering why I ain't seen him raise up. And I'm wondering I ain't heard it because I know the bull's coming. I've seen him, you know. So I'm just kind of low and I look at Joe and I look over at Chab. I look at Joe and I'm like man, what is going on here? Well, the bull does, like I said, he, he's
3: on. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott Baker says, hey, Joe, hey, he says, what's up with the elevations? I know you told me that they will go back higher if there is food source slave to their bellies. Yeah, you know, and we just had a big conversation on our last, po- last podcast about this. And, you know, understand that elk, where they go to bed, I, I think the elk that survive us that survived the elk growth crew, um, because the country the country can be so varied. You can have canyons that go up to more of a flat top that then go up to mountains and you know, you have all this varied elevations there that generally we learn how a lot of these guys move from feed up to the ridge bedding. But there's some of those elk that will drop off on the side onto the onto yeah, the, the steep ravines and- Yeah. And And canyons, yeah. And they get away from us, right? Oh, definitely. Because they're dropping down, and they're actually coming up on top to feed. But what they're doing, Scott, is these guys are masters at using – thermals, man. So they can actually feed longer on top, drop off the side, and now they immediately have thermals coming up from the bottom that, that they have a defense mechanism with. So yeah, it's all about them being slaved to their bellies. You find the food source, you're going to find elk. And Kenneth Sutton asks, um, should I be bugling during second season Rifle Colorado? I don't remember the exact dates of that rifle season, but I have a feeling um, if you can tell me the date on that, Kenneth, that'd help me out, and I'll answer that. Right? Okay. It's probably end of November, Joe. If it's if it's the beginning of November, there's still young bulls that are bugling at that time because those young guys they they get a chance to take over those cows, and they're kind of feeling it a little bit. The big guys have bailed off, but uh, yeah, it kind of uh, it it's one of those situations that. Again, if an estrus happens. But other than that, it's just those younger bulls, those satellites that are taking over because now they have an opportunity and they get to do their practice for the following year. Okay.
1: Yeah, bulls sound off. I, you know, I've heard bulls in December sound off. So I wouldn't. Absolutely. I would not bugle. I mean, if you're just going to want to see if you catch one answering back, you just never know.
3: Oh, well, October 24th. Yeah, I'm bugling, Kenneth. But, oh, but yeah. But you got to understand. Uh, hunch have i'm always calling huh yeah (laughs) i even call when i shouldn't be calling man yeah
2: that's how you learn you know you got to try it try it all the time and you know over a period of time we've learned you know what works what doesn't but uh there's been a lot of times we've been out there and haven't heard a thing all day long and all of a sudden you hear a was that a bugle? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Luis and Manana could probably attest to that, you know, after walking 14, 15 miles. No,
4: heck no. I didn't hear anything. And I don't hear, know what you're talking yeah. about.
2: I know there were times where I, I would hear a bugle at the way off there and I'd go, oh, it's time to eat, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I had second That's thoughts, too. But yeah, do. you, you,
3: you got to experiment.
2: You got to experiment.
3: And one thing yeah. I'll tell you, too, is I think sometimes the rut is happening a little later. It seems like in some areas year after year, which means that those cows are coming in a little later. So just think about this, Gilbert, you, you guys remember how it explodes around October 1st, right? So Goodness. let's say that a cow comes in heat. October first or September twenty eighth uh, around that time and does not get bred. Well, now you're looking for that cow to come in again right around the twentieth there, Kenneth, uh, to the twenty fourth on that next estrus. So yeah, man, you get a chance for a second um, estrus happening there. That that's a that's a good tactic. I'm using it. I'm and in fact we go out. Um, we'll go out during March. We'll go out um uh December and we've gone just hiking and use cow calls to bring herds into us. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: It calms them down so mm-hmm. we get real close.
3: Absolutely, man.
2: And that's a a good chance or a good opportunity to listen to cow tot. Yep. You know, the the different sounds you hear.
3: So before we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one more question from our mailbox, and and if I see anything come up on you guys here, we'll try to hit that before we get out. Um, but uh, this one is from Frank Colucci out of Odessa, Florida, and Colucci, oh. man's gotta be a, gotta be a fellow it- Italian right there. Um, he says yeah. first. I not only want to thank you for all your dedication and commitment to us as blue collar hunters but also to the sport and to the species. I did have one remaining question that I don't think was addressed during the previous shows. In your experience, oh wow, we we're just kind of talking about does unusual weather occurrences like early snow or cold spells or even extended summer type conditions have significant yeah. impacts on the typical elk rut timeline? meaning cows come into estrus well before or after the equinox. I ask as I will be hunting some tough terrain in Idaho next year where they get a foot of snow in June, and I'm trying to consider every possible factor to be successful.
1: Could a foot of snow in June. It's got to be really high elevation.
3: Yeah, and I, I think if I'm getting a foot of uh, uh, snow in June, I don't have to worry too much because them boogers are going to move you're down. Yeah, they're going to move down some. So um, I I would just tell you this, Frank, is it, it's kind of like um, it's trying to like to guess, man. It's like throwing darts when you're blindfolded trying to play that equinox. What I would do is I would hunt with the same technique no matter what, um, during the time that I'm hunting. And, you know, it's also that cows don't come in. The older cows are actually going to come in heat before the younger cows. And then some of the younger cows on, and it's just, um, it's such a hard thing to hit. And then there's going to be groups of them that are going to come in together. It's just like, um, like humans, man, there just seems to be this, the social grouping that happens with people that live together and cows that stay together in a herd sometimes are going to come in at the same time. And they're only in, they're in estrus for under 24 hours. So while some of them are coming in, others can be, you know, and then going out, others can be coming in. So that's just too tricky of a game to worry about. I would just say that uh, I'm going to do my season. I'm going to hunt during that time and I'm going to hunt with the same technique.
1: Yep. That makes sense, Joe. I mean, that it sounds like he's going to be in some big elevation anyway, and if you get that kind of weather, they're just, just going to have to hunt below it, you know, because the elk aren't going to be up there in the snow.
3: Or or I'm going to look for track in the snow. It's going to tell me oh, real man. quick where they're at, yeah. right?
1: Tell me exactly where, what, the, how they're moving, where they're moving, for sure.
3: So, uh, guys, man, this has been awesome tonight. We've had some great conversations going off in the wings. Yeah. I think Luisa has enjoyed this totally, man. Oh, I, man, this it, has been
4: awesome, just friggin' hilarious to listen <laughs> to you – know, read everything the guys are writing out there, and as you can tell everybody's been paying a lot of attention, to, especially to them good jokes and uh, <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> and, and also, we, we understand that you
3: you guys – Want to see the true um, leader of the Venezuela mafia? I keep hearing, I keep hearing chants, uh, <laughs> I keep hearing chants for Manano. So uh, we're going to have to see what we can do about uh, about getting Retreat Manano out here. Man. I, and for all of you guys that are out there right now, if you want to see Manano, I want to start seeing. Uh, start typing in Manano, Manano, Manano.
4: <laughs> oh my gosh! Guys. Hey, look, I don't, I don't disagree that everybody wants to see Manano because they all all want to see the face of the guy that gets picked on every time but about the true venezuelan leader now we're we're just getting the deep waters there you can't call that a leader man come on now you gotta show up to be a leader to begin
1: with you to show up to, i tell my kids all the time got to show up to show out
4: that's right that's oh, right
3: it, it's been a it's been a great night man uh i totally have enjoyed this guys it's, it's been we like the live thing it's different for us to do um it's it's a whole different focus it's it's uh it's like we're having one big elk camp which is is pretty yeah. doggone cool man Scott Baker, bigger come on oh. Reese, you're the leader
4: <laughs> <laughs> thank you brother scott appreciate oh, scott. it man there you go see now checks we're talking you check's in the mail
1: scott <laughs> <laughs> well gilbert Guys, Guys, if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. The new academy is epic. I mean, we need the five star reviews. You guys keep doing what you're doing for us. We're going to keep putting out the content. Joe has worked his tail off of getting this academy. Uh, him and Chab, they've Really worked tirelessly tirelessly at getting this done. We just got a few short weeks, man, and we're going to be bringing another podcast from elk camp. I got a feeling. So it's going to be really cool from up there on the mountain this year. I can't wait. You know, the days are getting shorter, guys, and it's going to be time to go get out there and, and go slay a dragon. Uh, I can't wait to share elk camp with my brothers. And really, it's a way we can share, share elk camp with all of you. You know, it's been a fantastic night. We appreciate everybody out on on YouTube checking us out. You guys keep keep doing that. We're gonna keep getting better at live. We uh, we stumbled a, a little bit in this in this first part, but we're gonna keep getting better at doing it. Um, as we say all the time here at Elk Bros, you know, this social distancing is getting better. We wish all of our brothers out there uh, safe and healthy uh uh rest of your summer and on into elk season you guys uh take care of one another love your neighbor husbands kiss your wives wives kiss your husbands y'all hug your babies and keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry and we'll see you next week right here on blue collar elk hunting peace everybody peace guys